1: Welcome to the 68th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, President
0: of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is Data Breaches Happening at a Dizzying Speed. We're delighted to welcome as today's guest, David G. Reese, who is of counsel in the Pittsburgh PA office of Clark Hill PLC, where his practice includes environmental, technology, and data protection law and litigation. He's a co-author of Lockdown, Practical Information Security for Lawyers, second edition from the Bar Association in 2016, and Encryption Made Simple for Lawyers from the ABA in 2015, and regularly speaks and writes nationally on cybersecurity topics. As usual, it's great to have you with us, Dave.
2: I'm glad to join you. It's always great to work with both of you.
1: Well,
0: we took this topic,
1: Data Breaches Happening at a Dizzying Speed, from an article we found uh, because we thought that was uh, such a flamboyant title. But it is true that every year, cybersecurity attorneys and consultants anxiously await the publication of Mandiant's M-Trends and Verizon's Data Breach Investigation Report. For those who may not be familiar with those documents, can you explain what they are, Dave? Sure. Sure. Uh, They're reports by security service providers, in this case, Mandiant
2: and Verizon, on data breaches during the past year. It's the ninth year for Verizon, and I think it's the 12th year for Mandiant. Uh, They collect and analyze information on data breaches and report on the attackers, the targets, the attack vectors, and what the attackers are after. They summarize trends and compare them with past years. So they're great collections of organized information for us to use in advising clients and in speaking and writing on security topics. And they usually have some great sound bites to use to get people's attention. So, you know, we get waves of information on data breaches, multiple ones a day, and it's almost like drinking from a fire hose. So these reports pull the information together and organize it and look at the trends so make it a lot easier
0: to work with. Dave, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Mandiant and Verizon themselves, the folks that put these reports together?
2: Sure. They're both leading information security service providers. Uh, Mandiant's a highly respected information consulting firm that provides a variety of security services. It's probably best known for its sophisticated data breach response that it's offered for over 10 years. It was a separate company and now it's owned by FireEye, which is a leading security company. It's best known for its uh, advanced intrusion detection and intrusion protection products. Verizon Enterprises is part of the you know, Verizon network of companies It's also a highly respected service provider, and it also offers a variety of security services. In this situation, it's a leader in sophisticated data breach response services like Mandiant. So the two of them use their uh,
1: experience from providing services in these areas to prepare the reports. So what sources of information do they use in preparing the reports? Okay, well, they both take a
2: different uh, approach. Mandiant's M-Trends is based on investigations that it performs. So it's limited to Mandiant's experience servicing its clients. Verizon's Data Breach Incident Report is broad-based. It's prepared by information from Verizon's own experience But it builds in information from about 65 to 70 other contributors. And the contributors include ones like uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, U.S. CERT, the U.S. Secret Service the SANS Institute, and then security firms like uh, Cisco, Silence, and Intel Security, and also the uh, Council on Cybersecurity, which is a, a leading nonprofit. So Verizon reports a composite of information from all of these sources.
0: So, Dave, how do they define what a data breach is? Because I'm sure some folks are sitting there thinking well, if my password is is compromised versus somebody lifting a database or whatever. So how, how do they come to grips with what is, in fact, a data breach?
2: All right. Well, I mean, it's a challenge for people in security because there are no uniform definitions. And for example, if you look at NIST, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, in its glossary, it has multiple definitions of security incident pulled from different documents. Mandiant doesn't make a formal distinction in its report, it uses the terms breach and compromise, it seems to be pretty much interchangeably, in describing the incidents that it investigates. Verizon, uh, in its report, publishes formal definitions, and it defines an incident as a security event that compromises the integrity, confidentiality, or availability of an information asset. It defines a breach is an incident that results in the confirmed disclosure, not just potential exposure, of data to an unauthorized party. So the distinction Verizon makes is that there has to be actual confirmed disclosure for it to be treated as a breach. You know, in the industry generally, data breach is sometimes used to cover that potential exposure that Verizon leaves out of its definition. So it it can be confusing, and when you look at the Verizon report, you just have to look at the definition and then how it classifies things.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's a little muddy myself because people don't want to say that data has been compromised, so it's a little bit hard to understand specifically what's going on.
0: Exactly. But that also confuses folks, too, because of, of the varying uh, state data breach laws, too, right, and how they classify what a data breach is? Yes,
2: although the states are more specific about it. For instance, Pennsylvania, where, where I live, it requires unauthorized access and acquisition of covered information. You know, it, it is a more specific definition, and I think it's a fairly typical one. But uh, I, I think you also have to almost prove the negative sometimes if something's exposed, establishing that it wasn't looked at or acquired.
1: hmm Well, I know that some of our listeners are lawyers, and they're going to be wondering, do they these reports, do they include specific information about law firm data breaches? One does and the other doesn't. So they both include law firms in their statistics,
2: and the Verizon data breach report includes law firms in its category of professional services. So it doesn't break down which of those professional services incidents or breaches involved law firms. So it reports on them without breaking it down. Mandiant has a separate category of legal services. And it's kind of interesting because in this year's report, For uh, legal services, it includes only 3% of the incidents that Mandy had investigated. So, you know, this year's report looks back at 2015. The year before it was 7%, and a few years before that it was 10%. Now, I would be very shocked if there is a downward trend in uh, <laughs> law firm data breaches. If you look at what, what's been going on in the last few months, uh, that that has to be wrong. I, I think it's just that, that Mandiant's experience is that in this particular year, it was dealing with fewer law firms or legal services providers than with others. But interesting, looking at the the total, uh, Verizon for 2015 reported 916 breaches in the professional category services, so some of those would be uh, law firms. I mean, another interesting point is that Mandiant will periodically give detailed case studies of some of the... uh, incidents that it's investigated. And back in, I think it was 2005, in one of its early reports, perhaps the first one, it gave a detailed case study uh, of a breach of a law firm, unnamed in the report. And that law firm had its network breached for over a year, and the attackers had full access to the network and servers. And in what unfortunately is often the case, in that situation, the law firm had no idea it was had been breached. And it was notified by law enforcement that they had found their data outside their network.
0: Well, well Dave, maybe you'll, you'll have to wait until 2017 to see if the trend reverses, huh?
2: Yes. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I would be surprised if some of the many law firms that uh, we're seeing in the headlines now, uh, you know, don't use providers like Mandiant. yet
0: Yeah, I, I would be too. But can you tell us a little bit about what some of the key findings are of the M trends report?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it reports first on three trends. The first one it calls David versus Goliath, and that's the rise of business disruption attacks. So it's things like a distributed denial of service attack, where you know somebody sends so much traffic to a website that it crashes. But it also includes ransomware. So what it's looking at anything that challenges the availability of the data, rather than the uh, security of the data or the confidentiality of the data, uh, it puts in this category. The second one, it it titles, this time it's personal. And it reports on targeted attacks to steal large volumes of personal information uh, by threat actors in China. So, I mean, that's big enough that it's a trend. And it's, you know, criminals stealing or or government agents stealing large data of personal information. And it's third trend is attack on enterprise networking devices, which is interesting because usually attacks are directed at either endpoints, PCs, laptops, et cetera, or servers. And Mandiant is finding a lot of routers, switches, firewalls, and devices of that nature being compromised. And they point out that that they're even overlooked often in forensic investigations because if they find obvious malware on the computers or servers, that they stop looking. But uh, Mandiant points out that you've got to keep looking at, at these. Uh, and then it reports on two trends that have turned into constants now because they 've been trends for a number of years, and one that we 're hearing more and more about from everyone is outside service provider abuse, where you know they 're using uh, suppliers or customers or service providers to uh, to break into a network. And the other is Windows persistence, and uh, Windows is the biggest target because it's you know used most in business, education, and government entities, including law firms, and they're finding attackers using ways to keep their presence uh, there for a long period of time and to hide it and, and to be in multiple locations, so if the forensics investigators find one part of an attack, that uh, they have other ones that if you clean up one, but you don't eradicate everything, they're right back in as soon as you uh, think the coast is clear. And then they break everything down by industry, like I mentioned before, you know, with legal services being uh,
0: 3% this year. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com.
1: Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is data breaches happening at a dizzying speed. Our guest is our friend and co-author, Dave Reese, who is of counsel in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania office of Clark Hill, PLC, where his practice includes environmental technology and data protection law and litigation. So we went through the M-Trends report a little bit. What about the key findings of this year's Verizon report, Dave? All right. Well, starting with the distinction that Verizon
2: makes between uh, security incidents and and data breaches, it reports on over 100,000 security incidents, and of them, 2,260 are confirmed breaches. It starts with a great quote from Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. And what it's reporting is that for the most part, the incidents patterns have continued this year from the past years. Uh, it notes that 89% of the incidents have a financial or espionage motive, the two things that pretty much everybody but the hacktivists are, are generally after. of the incidents that it reports fall into nine patterns. And I'm just going to focus on four of them. You can look at the report for all nine. But four of them, insider and privilege misuse, miscellaneous errors, physical theft and loss, and crimeware, they make up 71%, so the vast majority of the 83%. Verizon reports that the detection deficit is getting worse. So the detection deficit is looking at the time from when the attackers get in to when it's discovered so that you can start addressing it. And the time to compromise uh, is almost always days or less, if not minutes or less. So the attackers are getting in really quickly. And the gap between compromise and discovery has been uh, growing and the percentage that's found externally is growing. So both the time from when the compromise takes place until it's discovered uh, is growing, and the percentage that are notified externally, rather internally, is also growing. And that's kind of consistent with Mandiant. In the Mandiant report, they note that, you know, their statistics are limited to what they're seeing This is broader, so we're seeing a problem both in the narrow and the broad report. And phishing is still one of the main attacks, and it finds that the main perpetrators in the phishing that it investigated are organized crime syndicates and state affiliate actors. So those are really the two biggest groups behind phishing, which is a very large part of the attacks. And another thing that's a very important conclusion this year, and we've talked about things like this uh, on and off for years, is that 63% of the confirmed data breaches involve weak, default, or stolen passwords. So, you know, protecting the keys to the kingdom uh, is critical, and this shows what happens when you don't.
0: Well, well, Dave, the the ABA recommended that, that law firms as well as other enterprises adopt an appropriate cybersecurity program. I know Sharon was on that Cybersecurity Legal Task Force when they were doing that. But how do these two particular reports, how do they fit into a comprehensive cybersecurity program?
2: They provide critical background information for an effective cybersecurity program. So you know, the current approach to security, which we discuss a lot, is identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. And the first step is to identify the information assets that need to be protected and to conduct a risk assessment to identify the threats. So these reports uh, give a lot of thorough information on what the current threats are, looking at them for the past year and and for a longer period of time going back. So when a law firm or other business is going to do a risk assessment and look at you know what they should do to protect against that risk, what safeguards are necessary, uh, this is a big help in doing it. And, and I should mention that there's another Verizon report that's new this year that's called the Data Breach Digest that reports just on incidents and breaches investigated by Verizon, and Verizon includes in it recommended critical controls. The Center for Internet Security has published a consensus set of critical security controls, and the Verizon Data Breach Digest actually lists specific controls to protect against each of the threats that it covers. So in the cybersecurity program, this helps in the identify in terms of what the risks are, and in all the later steps, protect, detect, respond, and recover. So it's critical information to put into the broader cybersecurity program.
1: Well, we've talked about three reports now, Dave. Are there any others that you would particularly recommend that lawyers take a look at?
2: Well, there's a number of them out there, and and they keep growing over the years by other service providers and government agencies. You know, the Mandiant and Verizon reports are two that you know I really uh, I do anxiously await them and you know delve into them. There's another one that I regularly use, and that's Symantec's Internet Security Threat Report. That's an annual report, and then they do periodic updates. I think they're quarterly during the year. But there's a number of other ones that I at least look at. Uh, there's ones published by AT&T, Cisco, McAfee Labs, it's now part of Intel, Dell, Microsoft Security, and others. The FBI every year publishes the IC3 annual report, that's the Internet Crime Complaint Center which does uh, data collection on online crimes for the FBI, so they report one. And a new, really interesting one that came out this year is by the California Attorney General. California has a law that requires reasonable security to protect confidential, personally identifiable information that's covered by the law, and the attorney general published a report looking at incidents that were reported to the AG's office, and that's mandatory under the California law if there's a covered breach. And it went one step beyond just reporting them and looking at some of the trends. And it made the conclusion, again, looking at the CIS critical controls, it expressed to the attorney general's view that if an entity has covered personally identifiable information about a California resident, that it is not employing reasonable security if it doesn't uh, apply the appropriate critical controls to protect that information. So, uh, I mean, that's a new report, but it's one of the few, you know, from a government agency that says, we require reasonable security, and here's what it means. There's also some similar ones from the FTC, but there's not enough of it, and this is another good example.
0: So, Dave, what do you consider to be the the key takeaways from this year's reports?
2: All right. Well, there's obviously a lot there and a a lot of detail. But, I mean, some of my thoughts on the keys are the need for strong credentials, particularly multi-factor authentication for remote access and for other high security risks. Second, the continual growing risk of phishing which you know leads to the need for both user awareness and technical controls like filters, segmentation, and things of that nature. Third, lost and stolen mobile devices and the need for encryption to protect them. And you know, that's something we talk about a lot and covered in our book. A few years ago, Verizon's report said that using encryption for these kinds of devices is a security no-brainer. This year they label it just do it and get it over with and protect it. And then finally, it's important to review the reported incidents that are threats to uh, you know the type of law firm or, other enterprise, and consider the recommended controls to protect against them. Because in addition to Verizon in that one report pointing to specific CIS-critical controls, all of them have general recommendations on the best way to to protect against the threats that they're reporting. So, I mean, those are some takeaways. There probably could be uh, a couple pages of them.
1: Well, this has been great to hear about all these reports and all the uh, information and the key takeaways, et cetera, et cetera. I think we probably are the three people who always lust for these reports as they come out and devour them anxiously. So I hope that everybody enjoyed getting kind of a summary version of them. We thank you very much for joining us today, Dave. We are the Three Musketeers and always seem to be writing and lecturing together. And it's always a pleasure to have an opportunity to have you as a guest on our podcast. So thanks. All right, well, as I said, I'm
0: always glad to do it. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes.
1: And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.